Let's get started. Welcome to the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and this is episode two. Um, got a really neat guest today we're going to talk with um, that I've actually been wanting to talk to for a couple of years now, a little more in depth. So we'll jump into that in just a second. But one of the things I did want to do was circle back on um, a little bit more depth on episode one. We were talking about, you know, finding your passion and kind of going for these extra things in life, uh, pushing yourself maybe and pushing your boundaries to, to find new happiness or things that may make you happy that you're not currently doing today. It kind of reminded me of, and I'm not sure why I didn't remember this uh, when I was talking through episode one, but um, had one of my mentors back in the spring suggest that I go watch a, uh, a video online. It was through Oprah's uh, Super Soul Sessions uh, series, but um, Elizabeth Gilbert, um, who's the author of Eat, Pray, Love, um, she did this really cool speech on you know, the, the difference between, you know, people that have this single passion and, and they know what it is and it's defined versus folks that are, have a lot of things and they like to dabble and, and mix around with a lot of different stuff. But that kind of goes and in, in circles back to the whole, um, you know, 12 months, you know, dozen months of discovery, um, as I'm calling it, but being able to actually go in and find new things and new ideas, new adventures that you may not know that you like, but go try them out and test them out and, and test that theory that, hey, you know what, maybe you won't like it, but heck, you may find something that you actually do and it may unlock a lot of different doors. But that was something neat I remember watching back in the spring and it really gave me some some great insight because I was one of those kind of searching like, I don't know if I have one true passion. I have all this stuff that I like to do. I have a lot of different things. So it might be a good uh, maybe starting point for some of y'all that are searching out there. So again, Elizabeth Gilbert, um, go find her online, that video. Um, I think it's called like flight of the hummingbird or something of that nature, but go ahead and check that out. And uh, I think it'll be a lot of enjoyment for you and some really good learning. So let's go ahead and switch gears and talk about our guest today, Matt Hines of Hines marketing. That's a H E I N Z. Uh, Matt's all over, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, you can also find him on Twitter, um, at Hines marketing, but just a lot of great insight, um, very well-traveled, cool personality as well. Um, I actually came across Matt about two and a half years ago. I was heading to a MarTech conference and came across some of his content and just started connecting with him, and, and we had stayed connected since. Um, never met him in person, um, never had a really in-depth conversation with him, and I always wanted to. So when I started this podcast, I said, I'm going to reach out to him, and hopefully he accepts, and uh, and we can talk deeper, and sure enough, he did. So um, fortunately, just based on scheduling, he became the uh, the first guest here, and uh, and he's on episode two. Um, so excited for you guys to get some takeaways from him. He's got again a lot of great insight, and I think you'll be able to uh, grab a few nuggets that'll be helpful for your daily lives. Um, so without further ado, let's uh, let's go in and talk to Matt. Let's get it started. Matt, how are you doing today? Welcome to the uh, the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. No, absolutely glad you can uh, we can make some time for it and uh, talk through a little bit. And we'll actually get uh, kind of started um, in a couple different areas. I, I want to kind of use your expertise as we go along here. Definitely in the marketing realm, I think that could help a lot of folks, especially starting out with their own business and those type of things. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to take a step back because obviously you started your own business, and I think you can layer in a lot of uh, a lot of insight for folks and um, as they actually go through this and, and go through maybe whether it's a business or just starting out a new idea, something they want to venture into. So. 
let's kind of take back, uh, if we can take a step back, talk to me a little bit about the uh, the early days of your career, right? You weren't always running your own business. You were working for some some other organizations, some prominent ones as well. But um, I think you're a reporter at one point, if I saw that correctly. So uh, yeah. talk to me a little bit about, you know, the passion around marketing um, and yeah. helping kind of solve pre- people's problems in that area and, uh, and how sure. that obviously spawned into your own business. Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, so on, on, on one hand, this has all been a giant mistake. I mean, I did not intend to have my own business. I did not intend to even get into sort of B2B marketing. Uh, as you mentioned, I was a reporter first out of school. I studied journalism and political science at the University of Washington. And, uh, yeah, I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to right the wrongs and go the Woodward and Bernstein route. And, you know, that didn't work out the way that I wanted it to. Wasn't really once I got out in the world, didn't really didn't really feed me the way that I was hoping it would. So I ended up at a PR firm for a little while and then at Microsoft and uh, ran ran marketing for a couple Seattle area startups before starting my own gig. And, um, you know, I think that every step was intentional. Um, but there's been an awful lot of serendipity along the way as well. Uh, and I think it's to me, the lesson has been to you know, know what you want, but not stick to that so tightly that you don't see other opportunities and don't pursue other paths. There was no path I went down that I couldn't have reversed back uh, out of, uh, including this business. You know, I mean, we've been uh, this month, uh, November, I've been in business for nine years and it's been it's been exciting and terrifying all along the way. And um, I can't imagine doing anything else. But if I had to, I would, you know, to uh, support my family. And there's a lot of other ways that it could go. So, um, uh, you know, it's um, I think that's an important lesson for any business owner, for any entrepreneur that, uh, you know, you have have objectives, have a path, have a strategy. Uh, but always, you know, keep an eye open for new opportunities. No, and, that, and that's kind of a good point in terms of the, you know, where I was going to go with this. And, and I think you can layer in. Talk to me about, you know, venturing out on your own because I'm, I'm assuming you had many folks telling you, eh, you sure you want to do that? Is that the right thing? You know, there's, I think a lot of folks have those, you know, quote unquote demons where, whether it's, you know, made up in their head or actually people you know, telling them that. Hey, don't do this. So what actually put you over the edge? Do you remember that kind of moment or, or that kind of thought you had that put you over the edge to say, all right, I'm going all in, you know, you know yeah. chips in the middle? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, so first of all, I think that in my life, there are at least three things that if I would have waited until I was ready, I never would have done uh, is, you know, get married, start a business, have kids. Um, you know, I, if I'm honest with myself, I'm still not ready for any of those things. And I think that that's a commonality among a lot of business owners. I mean, I'm part of an entrepreneur group that meets on a regular basis and, you know, they'll pretty openly tell you like, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people are, have, uh, have that, uh, inferiority complex. You've got a little bit of imposter syndrome. You wonder if it's really something you can do. And, um, everybody has that. So you have to sort of break through that for me, uh, nine years ago, I mean, the beauty of starting a consulting business is you don't need inventory. I didn't need an office. It was just me, a laptop and a bus pass. So I just literally just kind of hung up a shingle. Um, I didn't do it until I had one client in the bag. I had a company that was ready to hire me right away. It wasn't going to make all of my money, but it was going to make some money for me, which was good. Um, and, um, you know, I was I was in the I was in a company that I was not in love with. Uh, and so I was kind of itching for a change anyway. And um, those things kind of pushed me towards giving it a shot. And uh, it was November of 2008. You know, the market had just crashed. My wife was pregnant with our first child. So the conditions, the market conditions were the best, but I still decided to sort of leap off the edge and um, really glad that I did. 
No, that's that's great to hear. And, you know, it kind of always reminds me, you know, a lot of people see the, you know, the, the kind of before and after photo. Everyone looks at the after photo and is like, oh, he's successful. He's, you know, he's been an author. He's done all this stuff. There obviously was a lot of, of, of those times at the beginning. And so talk a little bit about that even more, um, kind of that adversity. And maybe it's one or two things early on in those days. So you said, hey, you had a client um, that helped you obviously get started because they already had signed on. But talk me a little bit more. Any any other adversity that you could think of in those early, maybe the first three to six months or so that was like, oh, geez, what did I get myself into? Oh, dude. I mean, adversity continues. I mean, I'm this, there's no before and after. There's no destination. There is all there. It's just the middle. It's just the doing. Um, you know, I think as the business has grown, as we've hired more people, you know, we've, we're doing work with some, you know, great enterprise brands. We're doing work with companies all over North America. Uh, it's still exciting and terrifying. Uh, and I, you know, I don't say that to, um, to deter people from doing this. It's just the reality of having a business. It is unbelievable. It is something I never want to stop doing. It gives me a level of freedom for myself and my family that I couldn't have, couldn't, can't have anywhere else. But um, you know, your problems just change. The challenges change, but it's, uh, that is a constant. I think, you know, early on for me, I invested in building my network. I invested in building out a pipeline of future business, which continues to be extremely important as the bigger the business goes, gets the, you know, I, I cannot rely purely on referrals and word of mouth. I don't have control over quantity and quality of those. So I have to continue to, uh, you know, drive new pipeline for myself. I have to get better at building and managing a culture of people that drives, uh, makes people excited to come to work in the morning and proud of themselves when they go home. I mean, that doesn't just happen on its own. So there's a fair amount of work that goes into that. Um, uh, you know, and, and you're going to face adversity in a number of different areas. You're going to have clients that are upset. You're going to have, you know, cash flow issues. You're going to have clients that don't pay on time. I mean, these are all things that no matter what business you're in, uh, sort of manifest themselves. I, 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 I think I spun myself into an, an, an anxious tizzy a lot more early into the early days. Um, you know, I still face a lot of those same challenges. I think I have a different perspective because I've seen it in the business before. I've seen it in other businesses. And you have to work on it. You have to focus on it. But this too shall pass is something I tell myself a lot. Uh, and 99.9% of the time, it certainly does. Well, I love that perspective on it and that, you know, that positivity, really, because I think that is what needs to, you know, to get through these hard times and, and obviously the good times as well. So coupled with that, obviously, you worked at some pretty well-known companies, you know, Microsoft, you know, Boeing, I saw Seattle Mariners. How is that? Because obviously culture is a big thing. It gets talked about probably too much nowadays, right? And, and gets, you know, overwhelmed. But talk to me about, you know, in terms of hiring employees and, and those first early days, as well as what's going on now, how how big has culture played a role and are, are there things you've learned from maybe some of those prominent companies that you've taken or injected into your organization? Is there one or two that you can kind of share that um, is something that's that's helpful for the for the team? Yeah, I think culture, I don't think you can overstate how important culture is. I mean, especially in a business like, well, in any business, but especially business like ours. I mean, we're a professional services firm. I mean, I am selling our time. I'm selling what comes from our people. So it's, you know, it's not like you can say, well, you know, this guy over here is an asshole, but he produces a really good widget. So I'm going to keep buying the widget. No, I mean, you know, the, the product is the people. So I need to have people that sort of that 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 fit our culture and our values. Uh, when it was just me, you know, it was just you know, business of one, I wrote down what I thought were my values for the business, and the first version of that became our values as we started hiring people. And we've a couple times, you know, revisited those as a team and made some adjustments. But we hire for those values. Uh, we reward people 
for those values. We, uh, long story short, every employee at Heinz Marketing has a full-sized Heinz Marketing football helmet. And at every team meeting, we award helmet stickers in true college football fashion uh, for people that have exhibited uh, one or more of our values by doing something big or small. It could be super small thing, but like if it's an exhibit of our values, I want to reward that. So, um, you know, we look for clients that match that value, those values. Uh, we have, on a couple of occasions, fired clients for not respecting our values. Now, they didn't sign up for our values, but we signed up to work with them. And if I keep business that is against our values, that sends the exact opposite message I want to send to our team. So I think those values and I think maintaining that culture is really important. Now that, you know, as we've grown and as, you know, we've got, you know, we've got employees now for multi-generations, um, you know, you know, sort of managing everybody's expectations of what they want in the work in the workplace and in their job is a, an increasing challenge. But I think we've also got a really open set of communication here. Uh, we use a tool called Tiny Pulse to constantly capture feedback and perceptions uh, within the company. And um, that's been really important for me. Cool. That's awesome to hear. And, and, and to that, I saw one of the, the core values, it, it, curiosity on, the, on, on your site. Mm -hmm. I saw that. And I think a lot of folks could really, you know, take that approach of being more open to like new ideas and, and, you know, what can they actually do that instead of being in kind of their own little, uh, you know, kind of own little hole, so to speak. Talk to me about curiosity being one of your core values, how you inject that in the organization or in, and even with your clients, right? How do you get clients that maybe aren't as curious about new ideas or those type of things, getting them on board? Well, I mean, I think uh, I think the you may not have a client that is as curious or as proactively curious. But if we are, I think that's part of where we can provide value. I mean, if we look at a situation and say, well, why is that working? Why is that not working? Um, how do we do that more? I mean, one of the things we talk about a lot with our clients is the idea of getting to uh, a predictable pipeline. You know, every month, every quarter in your business, you want to have the utmost confidence that you can continue to generate new business, that you can continue to generate the right business for you. Um, so what's it going to take to get to that predictable pipeline? Like, I would hope that people are curious about what's working and what's not working to get there. You hit your number last month. That's great. What's your confidence you could do it again this month? What's, the, what's your confidence that whatever you did that worked, you're going to do again and do in the same way to generate similar, if not better, results? And so we have to have a level of curiosity to sort of pull, peel back the onion and figure out what that is. I mean, marketing, especially the marketing we're doing, I mean, we're a B2B marketing consulting firm. And so our clients tend to have fairly complex selling environments. I mean, you know, many months of a sales process, many people inside the buying organization that are engaged, uh, many different marketing and sales campaigns running in parallel. So figuring out what worked among that uh, is a challenge. And so we have to be intensely curious and results oriented to unlock what's working to deliver that predictable pipeline for our clients. And quite frankly, for ourselves, I mean, as we grow, uh, you know, we have to eat our own dog food to create predictable pipeline to, to run our business. Yeah, and to that point, and I'll actually skip around here a little bit and go on a slight tangent because I want to dive in a little bit on the marketing side there. With with a lot of folks that you're working with, what do you, what have you, or maybe what have you seen over time? But even in the last little bit, what are some of the biggest mistakes people are making? You think from a marketing lead generation perspective that you're like scratching your head? Why are they doing it this way? When you first either come work with them or just people you consult, you know, and talk with on a daily basis. I'm just I'm more curious of what what you're seeing out there. 
Well, and, and and keep in mind, I mean, it's, these aren't necessarily mistakes as much as they are, you know, some come, you know, these, you know, sometimes we can't get our, out of our way, and our, you know, the the four walls we stare at is the precedent that we know, um, and it is what it is. Um, you know, I see a lot of companies um, not integrating sales and marketing efforts together. Um, you know, it's no longer okay for marketing to be running, you know, uh, their side of the fence and then throwing leads over the over the fence and having sales do their thing. I think the customer expects a unified, coherent, integrated approach um, that not only improves perception among the customer, but really drives greater conversion and velocity of, uh, of new business into an organization. I, I think that a lot of marketers are very focused on the marketing of more which can be uh, counterproductive to results. More leads are not better. More traffic is not more better. No more clicks are not better. You don't need more. You need the right clicks. You need the right traffic. You need the right leads. Um, and so sometimes getting, you know, more volume is not as important as, you know, in some cases spending more money on the right volume. So and to that, that to me, that comes down to marketing embracing a level of revenue responsibility. Uh, you know, you can't buy a beer with a lead. You can't, <laughs> you know, you're not going to make your rent with uh, a bunch of retweets. I mean, you you have to generate revenue and sales results from your efforts. And that doesn't mean that everything marketing does is a direct response vehicle. It doesn't mean you're generating, you know, clicks and conversions every time or, you know, sales every time. But uh, it does mean that you have to have a mindset that what you're doing is with the right prospect at the right stage of their buying journey that is driving to an outcome that you can buy a beer with. And I think that mentality among marketers definitely starts to drive the right behavior and the right daily decisions and disciplines um, that help you hit your number. So, and, I, and I've wanted to ask this to, you know, kind of a longtime marketer for, for a while. So I'm glad I, I got you here to ask this. How much, talk, let's talk about automation for a second. Has it helped or hurt marketing in today's world? I'll start with the negative side of it. I think that, you know, we have, by automating messages and processes, we too often treat humans as numbers and as digits and as cells in the spreadsheet. Um, and especially for us in B2B marketing, I mean, buildings don't write checks, people do. And so we still have to, you know, create a relationship with your prospects and with your, with your, you know, those you want to do business with. So I think automation can create a distance between buyer and seller that is unhealthy. Uh, I, I also believe, though, that automation can be incredibly valuable and differentiating if you do it well. I mean, there's a lot of things in marketing and in sales and in business that are repeatable, that are predictable. And if you have a situation where if this if this type of prospects gets to this stage and exhibits this behavior, then nine times out of ten, they're going to want to see this piece of content next, or they're going to be interested in this message next. Like if that if you have if 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 this then that. If you've got that in a predictable, repeatable fashion, automation should be able to help you with that. And it doesn't mean that that message always goes out via an email or via a social post or something. It could You could automate a trigger for a salesperson to follow up or a customer or an account manager to follow up. So automation applied to natural mechanics of how people engage and buy can be extremely valuable. But if done without empathy, if done without an understanding of your buyers – um, it can certainly be counterproductive as well. To that point, um, and let's go dive a little bit deeper, I guess, into from a marketing standpoint. And it may be automation, it may be some other stuff, but 
an early stage company, maybe someone that wants to start their own company and is like, I know nothing about marketing or what I should do. Where would you guide them without giving away all the trade secrets, right? But where would you guide them in terms of the best ROI right now from a marketing perspective, especially for those, again, companies that are really trying to grow that don't have a ton of dollars, um, but they do need to make some sort of impact? What would you say is the best way for them to kind of get started with that? Yeah, I mean, it's for the moment, forget media, forget advertising, forget channels. Uh, for who is your customer and why would do they care about you? Um, the center of your marketing is a deep understanding of your target customer. Who are they? What do they care about? What are they trying to achieve? And why are they not achieving that today? What are their objectives and what are their obstacles to success? If you can understand that and translate that into the ability to create interest and attention and engagement with that prospect before they're ready to buy, or in some cases, as a means of helping them quantify a problem that they did or didn't know that they have, that is the essence of great marketing and differentiation and tr building trust and credibility. Uh, another way to think about that is, you know, if I had to encapsulate sort of our marketing strategy over, you know, in just a couple words, it would be, you know, sell the hole, not the drill. I don't earn the right to tell my story until I prove that I care about and understand your story. What makes you tick? What gets you up at night? What, what problems you're trying to solve? And, and hopefully I can give you an insight or a challenge or some data that, that demonstrates that some change is needed to get you back on the right track or to achieve the better results that you desire. And so that cut, you know, there's all kinds of insights and actionable insights that can come out of that customer understanding. Yeah, you can manifest that in content. You can manifest that in channels and whether your sales team's making calls, your marketing team's doing ads or whatever. But, you know, I talked to a company this morning that, you know, that was that, that had bought a bunch of technology but didn't know how to use it. And I'm like, dude, that your your strategy is not the technology. Your strategy is about that customer conversation and journey that your technology may or may not enable or may or may not automate or may or may not accelerate, but it starts with your understanding of that customer. No, oh, that's great insight. Yeah. And I think that's, that's good for folks to hear because a lot of times it's, yeah, what new tool do I have to use? Or, you know, I got to do Facebook ads or whatever, but it's, yeah, if you don't even know your audience, right, how do you even know what to do properly? So that's, that's exactly. a good insight. What, what do you think is the next wave? I, you know, I, I'm always curious, the next wave of marketing, right? Right now, obviously social selling's big and there's a, you know, a lot of impact on that. It, anything, to, what keeps you up at night? Like, hmm, I wonder if this is going to be something next, or maybe it's just a fad. I'm curious your, your mindset on that. Well, I feel like, you know, three or four years ago, social selling was big. You know, last year it was account-based marketing. I feel like this year it's AI and machine learning. And uh, I think we are getting past the frothiness of these uh, efforts. I, I think a lot of marketers don't understand necessarily what AI and machine learning means to them. But, you know, I, I, but I think a lot of it sort of exists today, um, even in more manual efforts. You know, if, if we are watching what happens in terms of prospects engaging with our site, engaging with our content, um, if we're translating that those actions into the next steps, that's us, uh, you know, doing it's it's human learning <laughs> as opposed to machine learning. And so, if we can teach computers to automatically read some of that behavior and read some of those external tr trigger 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 points and customize and migrate the messages going out to prospects. Um, that gets exciting. Now, there's a downside of that in that you may guess wrong. 
Um, but I think that that's you know there's a, there's a margin of error that many marketers are, are will accept uh, to get the performance uh, with the rest of their rest of their customers. So I think the machine learning piece really does have a pretty bright future in marketing over the next couple of years. Okay, cool. That's that's great to hear. Um, yeah, because I you, know, you hear that a lot. You read stories and those type of things. So it's good to hear it actually because I was I was kind of had that in my mind as well. So, um, so so let me take a step back actually to to kind of go this some of the stuff here where. We were talking about, again, where your own company, and, and you kind of started this serendipitously, right? But it kind of worked out over the last little bit. If you could go back, though, you know, you rub the, the, the magic lamp, so to speak, right? What would, you, what would you change? If you could change something, what would you change maybe to correct the course or whatever it might be? That's a great question. Um, you know, I wish I would have started building my network earlier in my career. Uh, I wish I would have started creating more content and a paper trail of ideas earlier in my career. Um, you know, I, I've I've been lucky is we grow the business to generate a fair amount of business from my network, from word of mouth, from referrals, um, and the relationships you build and nurture and the and the the reputation that you establish for yourself has a compounding effect. Um, and just like investments, it compounds based on when it starts and what you put into it. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, starting that early and maintaining that regularly is was really important. Now, I've, I've developed a discipline in the system where I am every day, uh, you know, engaging with my network and, you know, reading, reading where they're in the news and finding out whose birthday it is. And I've got a whole system for that. So I'm, I, I feel comfortable how I'm doing that every day. Uh, but if I could go back, I would have started a lot earlier as well. Um, I also think with every business, um, uh, you know, understanding the economics of your sales pipeline is extremely important. And I think early on we did a okay job of that. We certainly got better as we grown. Um, but knowing that the lifeblood of your business is sales and understanding how many prospects you need to talk to, understanding how many opportunities you need to create to get to your number, it is not you know, it, you know, we call it a sales funnel instead of a sales cylinder for a reason. You know, you're going to have an awful lot of conversations that sound good, that feel like they should go somewhere, that won't. Um, so, so knowing that the mechanics of your pipeline and knowing how much pipeline you need to create to hit the number you want to hit uh, is an extremely important discipline to have. I have to ask the the word lead gets so I have folks that say no I, I you know saw this person randomly I called up to them they're a lead and I said well not, not really I don't think can you give a definition to those folks that are like wondering when is an act when is an actually a prospect that that could turn into something when do you define that for your your partners your clients yeah I mean for us um, you know it's 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 the right person at the right company that has engaged with us uh, maybe they downloaded a white paper. Maybe we met them at an event. Uh, maybe they were referred to us by someone else. Uh, you know, we've gotten a lot better at building out lists of companies and individuals that we think we can do business with. Um, a list for me is not a lead. A lead list is a people we want to work, talk to. But if the right person at the right company has reciprocated attention and engagement, um, I consider that a lead. Now, that doesn't mean that they are qualified for us. That doesn't mean that they are uh, they have budget or a need or a you know short-term timeline to move forward like all of those things are super important to actually create an opportunity for us like we use the old uh the the old lead, you know, sort of opportunity qualification criteria from you know xerox in the 80s which i think uh, i would argue is still fine it's budget authority need timeline band and so once someone has, has has indicated all four of those we consider that a qualified opportunity and even then 
only 25 to 33 percent of those opportunities are going to close into deals. So I think there is there is a there are two key conversions in your pipeline, lead to opportunity, opportunity to close, that are critical for you to understand or at least estimate so that you can build out a model that tells you how many of those qualified conversations, how many of those right person at the right company leads you need to have engagement with to hit your number. Gotcha, gotcha. I appreciate that. Yeah, the uh, I just want that clarification because I think a lot of folks sometimes get that wrong. Um, and over, almost over invest in certain folks that are like, well, wait, maybe they're not leads yet. Um, so what's a, what's one big misconception you think about growing your own business that you, you know, you talk with some of the cocktail party or you hear some, you know, people chatting about stuff or see something online. What's one big misconception that you want to kind of you know, set the table on, so to speak. So folks don't, you know, think everything's all hunky dory every single day of the, the week, so to speak. Um, one of the downsides of uh, the social media world that we live in today with Facebook and Instagram uh, is that we see the top top five percent of everybody's life. You know, we go you go to a cocktail party and ask someone how their business is. Oh, it's great. You know, um, and you see the press release. They announce a new customer or you see them celebrating at a at an event. Uh, so we our perception is that everyone else is is doing great and they may be doing well. But I, I guarantee you it is a challenge to get there. I mean, I, it, um, the, the, the process of sausage making in every business that I know uh, is, is not always pretty. And it's not always fun. And it is at times quite terrifying. Um, uh, and I think the key to being successful in business, at least from my uh, experience, is that you, you do your best to prepare. You do your best to uh, objectively evaluate your options uh, when you reach adversity, make a decision and move forward. Um, and it doesn't mean you ignore the challenges. It doesn't mean you ignore the fear. Um, but it but it does mean that, you know, you are cognizant and intentional and proactive about where you're going to move forward. So I think the misperception that, you know, that everybody's doing great, that everyone's doing better than you, that everyone's got it easy. Uh, I guarantee you that's not true. So to that point, um, a, a little bit further, I guess, in terms of, you know, things go well, things don't go well. You can't work all the time, right, as much as people think you can, right, or maybe they show that they can. Talk to me about detaching a little bit from work because I think for folks where – and at least I want to hear from your perspective of running a business for a while – is being able to understand that, hey, you can balance you know, life and you can balance work and you can do some other stuff. So how do you detach from work? Is there, is there things you like to do or you know, things that kind of get your mind off it? Yeah. Uh, I, uh, so I've got three young kids now so that you know, when I started the business, my wife was pregnant. Uh, my daughter is now eight and a half. I've got an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, a four-year-old. Um, I love spending time with my family. And so there's a natural motivator for me to turn things off and spend time with them in that window between when I get home and when we put them down to bed. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I talk and type for a living. And so on weekends, I like to work on my calluses. I do a lot of woodworking projects. Uh, we live on a three quarter acre, uh, farm, a mini farm outside of Seattle on an old 110 year old farmhouse. And so we're always working on the house and doing some improvements. And my wife's a big gardener, so I'm I'm infrastructure man. So like I'm always working on you know uh, retaining walls or or planter beds, and I love doing that stuff, especially when I can throw a ball game on the radio and just go out and the kids will come help me, and it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, the the broader point about detaching is so important. Uh, 
Um, you, you can't work all the time. You can't sit and worry yourself into a tizzy. I mean, there's certain situations, certain things where, you know, there is no extra work you can do to fix a situation. You know, you can't sit and worry your prospects into closing faster. <laughs> so um, at a certain point, like whether you go out and, you know, work in the garden or go for a run or take your brain off and watch a dumb movie, um, I think those are extremely important elements of uh, of keeping yourself sane. And there's a lot, you know, there there's a lot of literature and a lot of great entrepreneurs and even uh, venture capitalists that have written on this topic the topic of stress, the topic of uh, depression, uh, the need for balance, um, to keep yourself sane uh, in the journey. Because, I mean, if you work all the time and then you sort of internalize and spin yourself up on the things that aren't working the way you want, um, I mean, th th that becomes a physical and mental health issue after a while. So, you know, it's imperative that you put those things in check and find those stress relievers that work for you. For some people, it's cooking. For some people, it's running. Uh, for some people, it's just it's it's watching YouTube videos. Like you got to have that release. Are, so, are we going to see a Matt Hines, you know, built built this old house uh, show coming to a, a city near us sometime soon? Or uh, hopefully not. Um, <laughs> I'm one of those guys. You know, they 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 say uh, cut cut or measure twice, cut once. I measure five times, then cut, get it wrong half the time, have to throw the piece out and then try it again. So um, another example, like I post a lot of things that we do around the house on Instagram. People are like, oh, that looks great. I'm like, yeah, well, it took me like eight times as long as it should have because I kept screwing it up. Um, but um, it, it is, it's, it's something that my wife and I enjoy uh, together. Our kids, as they get older, are getting into it as well. And it really is um, – yeah, it's just it's just a lot of fun, and obviously it has benefit for us because we get to live with the uh, with the output. So, last thing here um, to to kind of keep on the level of again, folks that whether it's again a hobby or something they want to do, it, it, the opportunity to learn um, and expand. We talked about curiosity earlier. Where are some ways, or, or how how are, um, do you gather knowledge? It, it, whether it's books or it's podcasts you listen to, what's kind of the hot thing on your mind? Maybe it's I, I don't know. Maybe it's other things that you do. But is there certain folks you like to follow right now, or, or um, top of mind, or maybe some books that you've read recently that you think are have been valuable or could be valuable to other individuals? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends. I mean, I'm I read a lot. Um, I don't watch videos as much. I've got a couple podcasts that I follow. Uh, uh, consistently, I actually don't listen to any business podcasts. My podcasts are all about food and college football. Uh, but I, I read a lot of sales and marketing blogs. I read a lot of sales and marketing newsletters. Um, uh, I will skim through sort of the latest, you know, books on sales and marketing to make sure I've got the gist of what they're doing. And I think, you know, some, you know, not everything's mind blowing. There's some things that are more mundane or not as quality as others, but I think, um, you know, as I, I mentioned sort of the, the daily discipline of building a network and, and, and feeding your network, I think you have to have a daily discipline of dis discipline of learning as well. And if you're a podcast person or you're a video person, great, uh, for me, you know, being able to, you know, you know, sit on the couch at home and after kids have gone to bed and sort of flip through a bunch of podcast or a bunch of blogs and sort of read some more than others, but it just sort of get the gist of a lot of information is really, really useful for me. Um, and even though people hire us because, you know, we are an outside voice that can bring new ideas to them internally, you know, we have our own same four walls, you know, and if we don't continue to learn and improve our own uh, ability to execute and innovate, um, then our services and the value of those services diminish. And I think that's true in various ways for all of us. So 
um, you know, no matter what you find to consume, uh, you know, make sure that becomes a regular discipline and habit. That's awesome. And and last point and, and last question I'll ask you here is for folks that are listening, right? And, and again, they're in various stages of their life or business or whatever it might be. So I'm going to put you on the spot on this. So give me like a dozen words or less. What would you say to them if you're talking directly to those individuals, something to, to whether it's a motivation or something to inspire them to say, dude, just just you know, just get started kind of thing um, or keep going. What, what kind of motivation do you take or maybe it's a quote or something of that nature that you think could be really helpful uh, to keep in folks' minds as they go through the day? Uh, two quick things. One, perfect is the enemy of good. You know, sometimes we try to make things too perfect. Just ship it. Just get it out there. And also something that I learned from Eric Schmidt, who's the who's uh, on the board of Google. I heard him speak once and he said, you know, life is short. Work with people you enjoy. And there's a lot of wisdom in that as well. Uh, and, I, and I take that to heart with our with our employees, with our partners, with our customers. So um, those are the two things I would say. That's awesome. Well, well, I appreciate your time today. You've imparted a lot of wisdom as well on me, as well as I think the uh, the audience as they listen through this. So I really appreciate the time and um, and, and putting the energy into this. And uh, thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. It's been my pleasure. It's been fun. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Have a good one. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that interview with uh, with Matt. That was really cool. Um, loved hearing his perspective on some things, especially from a marketing and sales pipeline and those type of things that are important for, for small businesses, but I guess all businesses. You know, it kind of reminded me, though, some of the stuff he was talking about kind of reminded me of a quote with uh, with Vince Lombardi. You guys know the uh, the great coach from uh, Green Bay where he says, you know, the measure of who we are is what we do with what we have. And it kind of goes back to this premise of, you know, Matt, you know, yeah, he had a, a company that signed on with him. So kind of his first client, which helped him take that kind of leap, so to speak, away from corporate world and into his own business. And we don't always have those opportunities. But you know what? That's just that was his life. That's how it worked out for him. But he still had to manage a lot of that. And there was a lot of moving parts. I bet him and I could have spent five hours talking about that, of all those moving little parts at the beginning of of his business eight and a half you know, years ago. So it's something I want you guys to be think of is there's always all this. And I listen, I used to be just like this. So I'm, it's not like I'm talking down to anyone. I'm talking really you know, into the mirror as well. Um, how I was in the past of a lot of complaining, a lot of, you know, I didn't get this or I don't have that. It doesn't matter. You have what you have. Luckily you have most likely some health, right? And you have some opportunity, especially if you live in America here um, or you live in, in, in a very developed country. So stop bitching. Stop complaining about what you don't have. Be thankful for what you do have and then use what you have to go out and execute and execute on whatever those passions are, whatever fun things you want to do, whatever it may be. But this this complaining has got to stop. It's so rampant. And maybe it's just because of social media where you can kind of see comments each and every day. Just stop complaining. Just stop it and just go out and execute and go do it. Um, so I'd encourage you guys to do that. And like I said, I'm looking in the mirror as well at myself because there'll be times I catch myself complaining and, and bitching and moaning about stuff. And it's really, it's really it's not constructive. It doesn't help you guys in any way. So 
Um, I really appreciate Matt. Um, thanks so much for doing the interview. Um, again, being my guinea pig, so to speak, in, uh, in episode uh, two here. So uh, any uh, questions you have for me, um, obviously you can find me online at Andreco Golf. Matt can be found online, Heinz Marketing. He's got a phenomenal business up in the uh, Pacific Northwest, um, up in Seattle there. So go ahead and check that out, as well as online, uh, Matt Heinz on LinkedIn and on Twitter, at Heinz Marketing. So go ahead and check him out. I definitely encourage you guys to do that. Well, thank you guys for uh, joining on another episode, and we'll see you soon.